My conversations with composers have exposed the myriad ways in which nature can be powerful or awe-inspiring, but also at times painful and tragic. But nature, of course, can also be whimsical and fun, too. And the music of Libby Meyer really seems to capture this without sacrificing any musical integrity. It reminds me that the screeching bird calls and kerplunks of falling rocks are as fun as they are natural. Her music also capitalizes on the unpredictability of these sounds, whether by adding in pre-recorded soundscapes with an ensemble or giving audience members bird whistles, her music will surely surprise you. I hope you enjoyed this interview because it was a real pleasure to get to talk to Libby. My name is Luke Helker and you're listening to Ears to the Earth. like to 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 start with is how you became affiliated with the landscape uh, music network um it's kind of a funny story so i um am a member of the um iawm international association of women in music and um it's actually a really funny story and i had joined and i had gone to pay my um membership fee and something got messed up so they put me in touch with Christina Rosnack, who at the time was their treasurer. And I had this really nice email exchange with her. And all of a sudden I, I thought, well, I'm going to look her up because she seems like a really interesting person. And I, that's my dog. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I looked her up and I went, wow, she's doing a lot of the same kind of work that I'm doing. So I emailed her back and, and said, you know, I'd love to connect with you because I feel like we're doing really similar work. And so she was the one who told me about the Landscape Music Composer, or it's actually, I think it's just the Landscape Composers Network now. Um, so she's the one who introduced me to Chanel. So that's sort of how I got involved with that group. And I think at the time I joined, it was, it was somewhat smallish. It's kind of gotten bigger and sort of international, but it was really through that connection through IAWM with Christina Rosnack, which was kind of cool. I guess the next, the next question uh, I wanted to ask is how... The more and more I, I have some of these interviews, I find that I've struggled to really capture the the best way of asking this question, which is more or less how, where's the intersection of growing up, knowing that nature is, you know, a big part of sort of who you are as, as maybe a person. And I guess, where does that intersect then with your studies in, in sort of like the formal aspects of composition? And when, when do you realize that? you want to sort of dedicate at least the majority of, of your, your music towards composing these, these, uh, this type of music. 
Okay, I think I understand that question. Sorry. <laughs> um, and I'll try not to give you too long of an answer, but I, um, I, I was kind of a reluctant composer in a strange way. So I, I went to um, grad school in the 90s and it was a really strange time to be going to grad school because um, it, like electronic and computer music was just really taking off. And it was kind of a time when, um, I don't know how to put this in a nice way. A lot of the music written was music that was not my music. Let's just put it that way. And so I felt like this is not like, like and, and I would look at this different music and go, this just isn't like what I'm interested in writing. But I also didn't want to be like writing show tunes. You know, it's like I sort of had this kind my music tends to be somewhat tonally based and um, and nothing around me was like that. No one was writing music like that. And so I for a long time, I like I actually took a long hiatus from writing. I moved where I live now, which is in um, northern Michigan in the Upper Peninsula. Um, and I just started writing my own music. I mean, basically just not worrying about what was going on around me and sort of um, also discovered the music of John Luther Adams. And, um, you know, like I had taken this 10 year break and then and it was interesting. The music from when I stopped writing and started writing was very different. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that, I mean, I, I, my music is definitely nature inspired, but I think it's more place inspired. Um, so it's, it's, I live in a really natural place. And my husband, I have an 80 acre farm and we have neighbors far away. And, um, you know, there's uh, sandhill crane nests just up the way and stuff. And so it's lovely. I mean, I'm surrounded by it all the time, but um, I'm also really interested like in the people um, and just sort of everything that makes up that place, the whole soundscape that makes up the place. Um, so as far as it, how it fit into my um, sort of compositional studies, it, it was kind of an outgrowth and maybe more, I don't know, a rebellion <laughs> in some respects. Um, and I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, that's sort of my compositional journey, I guess, sort of coming to that. It, you know, it certainly does. Um, would, would you say that this did you sort of realize this while you were at you were at illinois for your dma is that correct? i was at northwestern yeah or northwestern, northwestern sorry yeah and um you know what it was I, I you know i started writing and i enjoyed it and i i had some talent um i've always been very like i'm not a quick composer I, I things tend to take a long time to germinate and like chicago was a wonderful place i loved it i was there for 10 years um and I didn't, and I, I was always kind of that person who was always trying to get out of the city to go hiking someplace. So, I mean, definitely that was sort of my bent, but it never occurred to me that I could like combine those, you know, those two things. Um, and in fact, a lot of the work I do tends to just be what's around me. like, I wrote a piece about my horse last year, you know, so like I have, um, I'm really interested in kind of like not everyday things, but not things that are things that just are in my own sort of life that I want to sort of express. Um, and so I think it was until I moved, I moved here, right. I, to make a long story short, I was an artist in residence at Isle Royal national park. And that was the first time I was up here and I fell in love with it. And then the following year I graduated and just moved here. I had no job, nothing lined up, <laughs> I just moved. Um, and that's sort of when I kind of started to realize, Oh, I can, you know, I can express the world around me musically. And that's something that's really interested to me. And then I sort of learned a little bit about Bernie Krause. I don't know if you know Bernie, he's an acoustic ecologist and ended up bringing him here and met him and um, got really interested in sort of soundscape kind of composition. 
um, recording natural sounds and integrating them into my music. And I've since kind of stopped doing that. Um, so it's definitely been kind of a, an evolution, <laughs> I guess. Which is fair. I, I, yeah. I think everyone sort of evolves mm -hmm. uh, over time in that respect. You, you mentioned something earlier, making a sort of distinction between nature and place. I was wondering if you could maybe elaborate on how you, I guess, define place. Um, you know, I, I define it. I mean, there's the physical place, right? So there's like my house. That's a physical place. But then there's also sort of um, the the people that are there that inhabit that place. I mean, you, where I am, it's it. My, my place happens to be very sort of natural. So I mean, there's definitely a little city, but it's tiny and. Um, we're somewhat off the grid. And so place can me to me mean the the trees that I know out in my woods, which I'm very familiar with, or um, uh, I'm really interested in bird migration. Um, we have we have four distinct seasons here, but six months of that is winter. So we're we're entering into winter right now. So it'll be winter here from probably now until like late April. Um, but I'm also really fascinated because the the um, bird migration season starts in February, which is still in winter. So we'll start seeing like the raptors coming in. And, and so it's really interesting to me watching that like slow process of the seasons unfolding. And so that to me is also part of place because the seasons and the way they, um, the way they sort of change are very different here than they would be, you know, in Chicago. Um, or, you know, it's getting very dark here right now that we don't get a lot of daylight right now. And I definitely notice that and notice how it makes me feel. Um, but then in the summer, it could be like, you know, 14 or 15 hours of daylight. It's, we have a lot of a lot of sunlight in the summer. So that's that's pretty interesting to me. Um, the local culture of a place is very interesting to me. We have a really strong Finnish um, population here. Uh, it was because there's a mine, there's a long history of mining here. Um, we have a lot of historical buildings. Um, so there, there were a lot of Finnish immigrants that came here to work in the mines. And so that culture is very much part of this place. There's definitely a Native American culture here. Um, and that's all. So it, to me, place is all of those different aspects that come together, sort of that um, in community. I think that's another one. So there's sort of the physical space, but then there's the, the community and the culture of the space. And I guess that's how I loosely define place. <laughs> There's, in some of my research, I realized that there's so much more to how someone, I guess, defines place beyond the, the sort of tangible. There's, you know, all these sort of psychological notions of, of um, ownership and then how that, you know, yeah. then affects your behaviors and outlooks. And it's, frankly, it gets to a certain point where it's kind of a little too, like, science-based and yeah. goes over my head a little bit. but. Mm -hmm. But I, def I, I definitely agree that the community might be a better or at least a more accessible word to, to uh -huh. also describe what, what place is and how that, that can affect people. Mm -hmm. um, how, but I guess sticking on this, this subject of place, how has it changed or how has your perception of place possibly changed uh, as a result of the pandemic? It seems like you're oh. already sort of like um, secluded from some of maybe your, your neighbors and everything. But I'm wondering if, if the pandemic has, has uh, exacerbated that. 
It's been rough. I have to say it, it's um, uh, partly because I am somewhat physically isolated here. Um, I, I always have to be very intentional. I mean, I, I teach at the university, so I mean, I do go in and have classes, but now because I'm teaching completely remotely, I don't, I'm, this is how I'm teaching. <laughs> so um, it has been somewhat isolating and somewhat liberating, I would say, um, just in terms of there's a lot of, I'm making more connections with people because I never thought I could. So I, I actually talk to my family a lot more than I used to, which is kind of interesting. Like I have these Zoom meetings with my parents once a week and um, I never used to do that. Um, and I have friends that I are very, I'm very close with, but I wouldn't talk to them very often just because. And now we meet and have, you know, talk and that sort of thing. So it's interesting because I feel like I'm connecting with people that are further away, but I'm not connecting as much with people that are close because um, I don't know. It's a, it's a strange thing and I, it takes a little more effort. I have a, I have a friend that we get uh, lunch uh, like every couple of weeks and we literally sit in our cars and talk on our cell phone. Like, so, so her car's next to me and, and we talk on our cell phone while we eat lunch. I mean, so you get like super creative about like how to connect with people. And it's been really interesting with my students kind of watching them go through this. Cause I think it's been pretty rough. Um, and I teach like sight singing. I mean, I teach ear training. So I've got kids singing on students. I shouldn't say kids, students singing on zoom, which is kind of interesting. And, um, so it has affected me. And in fact, I, I have not been writing as much. Um, I have a couple of things that I need to get on. I've got a few commissions that are due. Um, but I feel it, I, I wouldn't say it's been creatively stifling, but it's been overwhelming. And I'm not even going to talk about the election, except that that's just been sort of there. <laughs> like, it's like the perfect storm. You know, we have this election and then we have this pandemic and um, all of the civil unrest that's been happening has sort of made me completely reassess how I'm teaching all my classes and um, which is a good thing you know I mean just trying to be more inclusive about how I teach music theory and how I present music and um, how I think about music and what music is good and what music isn't good and, and how we get very sort of in our own little box about um, how we think about you know the arts in general and so it's been uh, it's been interesting. <laughs> there's a lot there to unpack. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's true. There's there's uh, at a certain point you sort of run out of words because it is it's very overwhelming. I find myself too struggling to sort of even justify putting time into practicing scales <laughs> with everything that's that's yeah. happening sometimes. Um, um, sorry, let me, of the music that you, you have written, are there any mm -hmm. particular pieces that you would sort of, I guess, recommend, or I guess would be considered the, the epitome thus far of your, your sort of comp compositional output? Oh, wow. Um, well, I am, I'm actually, it's funny. I was supposed to release an album in January and that got sidetracked. I did a bunch of recording of my music in Boston last spring. And so there's some music there that I, um, I love. There's a, a piece I actually wrote called Baroque Dances, which is a piece about a horse I ride named Baroque and he dances. So it's in, it sort of combines the music of Bach and um, it's, it's a fun little piece. Um, I wrote a piece, actually it's, it's older now, I think it's really from 2017, and this was um, a, a 
grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. It was the 100th anniversary of the National Park Service, might have even 2016, but it was an orchestra piece I wrote called Lakescape. Um, and that was uh, about the five different um, national parks on Lake Superior. And so I took each park and wrote a piece that I felt kind of exemplified the park. And um, so it was uh, Isle Royal, which um, is sort of how I ended up here. Um, and then I think it's Grand Portage National Monument and Pictured Rocks National Lakeshore and then Apostle Islands National Lakeshore, which is a place I, I kayak a lot. Um, I've spent many, uh, this year they were closed, unfortunately. So um, I wrote a piece about sort of each of those um, parks and that was a fun piece. It was, a bit, it was about a 27 minute long piece. It's probably like kind of the biggest thing I've ever, ever written. Um, and then um, so, and, and on the album that's coming out, actually, well, it was supposed to come out in January. It'll probably be more like next fall because there's still a string quartet to record um, on that. And there's a there's a couple fun choral pieces on that that I really like. I wrote a um, piece called To What Listens, which is uh, five poems of Wendell Berry, who's one of my favorite poems, poets, um, kind of based on birdsong. Birdsong tends to factor in my music a lot. Um, and then actually just last year, I wrote, a, maybe two, the years are blurring, maybe two years ago. Um, I have a piece called, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the name of it, but it was really fun. It'll come to me like in a minute. Um, I gave bird calls to the audience and we started with sort of bird calls and it was sort of a stroll along. I, I, I live right on the shores of Lake Superior, so it's sort of in my music all the time. Um, and that was really fun because it, it like I love the idea of including the audience and every performance was different. You know, that was kind of the fun, the fun part. Wild Beauty, that was the name of the piece. <laughs> You'd think I'd remember my own composition. Um, but that one, that was really fun. That one was actually, um, that was part of the um, Landscape Music Network. We did this sort of five city um, concert collaboration. I don't know if maybe someone may have told you about that. And so, um, the pieces got performed in different places, and so we I, that piece got performed, I think, three or four times, and it was really fun listening to the recordings because everybody, like some people really got into the bird calls, you know, and kind of went crazy, and then some of them were a little more quiet, and, um, but that was a fun piece, too. You mentioned going to all these different parks and, and writing pieces about them specifically, and I know it was for the purpose of this symphonic work, but mm -hmm. I'm curious if you, if there, I guess maybe a better way of asking this question is like, are there certain instruments that you tend to lean on for evoking this particular sound? Like do you always tend to use flutes for uh, birds or strings for air or what have you? Um, um, that's a good question. You know, I, I don't, I've never really thought about that. Um, I am a string player by training. So that tends to be my go-to for everything. So I, I tend to kind of start with strings. Um, I, I don't think that I, I mean, actually it's kind of funny because in, in Wild Beauty, it was actually a clarinet and a violin that were doing the bird calls. Mm. Um, and it was a clarinet was playing a white-throated sparrow and oh, I'm sorry, the flute, the violin was playing like a white-throated sparrow. And it was a, I think, I think, that's my cat jumping on the piano. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Fern. Uh, it's Wild Kingdom. And you'll hear the rooster crowing in a minute, too. Um, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I tend to sort of 
construct my pieces sort of organically. So I'll start with like a sound and then I just sort of add instruments as they come. I'm, I'm fortunate in that I, I have sort of a lot of musicians at my disposal here. It's a small town and, and we don't, we don't have like a professional orchestra, but um, we have a pretty good community orchestra and I have a lot of friends out that play elsewhere. And so, you know, if I want to put something together, I can kind of sort of create this orchestra just sort of building from the ground up. And um, so every piece kind of starts differently. Sort of, it might be just a sound I hear and it might be a flute or a clarinet or um, a glockenspiel, I'm not sure. <laughs> but I don't tend to associate any any particular like natural sound with an instrument. You know, I don't connect, like I don't connect Lake Superior with an instrument. I, I guess I don't necessarily think that way. Maybe Maybe like percussion of some sort, so. Sorry, my cat is trying to open this door. <laughs> Hold on one oh, no, second. Take, it, take your time. <laughs> She's being horrible. <laughs> they, I think they both need to be fed right now is the problem. Okay, mm. I'm going to just hold you. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was wondering if we could shift gears for a moment mm -hmm. and talk a little bit. You're going to have to help me pronounce the this soundscape project. You have the... Oh, the Keweenaw. Keweenaw? Okay. Keweenaw sounds great project. Yeah, so Keweenaw is an Ojibwa word for portage, um, which I live in the Keweenaw Peninsula, and I actually live on basically what's called Copper Island. And so if, I'll do a little hand thing. I, I think I might be doing it backwards, but so like this is the, you know, Michigan, and then here's the, can't even do it this way. Anyways, I live in the thumb up here. <laughs> it's this mm -hmm. thumb. And actually, if I cut my thumb off, this is an island. So that's where I live. Um, and actually this all started with, um, when Bernie Krause was here actually in 2014. And I have a, a friend who works at, at tech, we have a degree in sound design and we got really into just recording soundscapes. Um, that became a really interesting thing and soundscapes that were kind of unique to this area. Um, and so a lot of students have sort of been recording and we add things to it. We kind of collect sounds. It's, it's not a, a fast moving project, you know, it kind of stuff doesn't happen with it for a while and then we kind of pick it up and um but it's been kind of we, we've had students just find areas that they really love and then they'll go record um and so we've kind of collected these sounds of the area or maybe like the, especially like in the spring when the bird migration happens and um and they've also done some things like where they've sort of recorded um sounds and sort of the influence of sort of human made sounds as well and sort of that effect on sort of the natural sounds and how does it affect the the sound making of whatever birds or insects or whatever are in that area so um but yeah it's been it's been an interesting little project but it's all just because we met bernie and he's just such an amazing person <laughs> we thought we should do that here that sounds great yeah uh, the, have you has it existed long enough for you to um, notice any sort of dramatic changes? I'm thinking of of of, hit, of Bernie's TED talk where he shows the, you know the very dramatic um, changes in that in that particular park that escapes me at the moment. I'm wondering if, if you've noticed that. No, you know what? It's only been about six years, so it probably. I mean, this is you know we have a 
like for example there's a wolf moose study on our world that's been going on for like 60 years you know and so they've been able to really track that and i think this is something that probably would even be after me where you could really kind of step back and look although i mean obviously some really dramatic things are happening in really short periods of time now which is also somewhat terrifying um like the winters here are, are even different than they were 20 years ago when i moved here and so i mean i think climate change is happening um faster than i think we're we realize that it's happening. So there are some of those those changes as well. Um, even I look at, you know, like the kinds of animals that I have running around in my yard. We never used, this is a strange example, but we never used to have gray squirrels and all of a sudden we have all these gray squirrels and I'm sure that's largely due to climate change um, because it is warming up, that sort of thing. But as far as the soundscapes, I, I think it would take a while for us to really um, see a change. I mean, and some of it's been just, I think people, there's a lot of people that live here that are really tied to this place. Um, I mean, there are people that have like, you know, advanced degrees that come up here and work at the local co-op because they just want to be here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, a lot about being tied to place. So I think that there's, um, there are people that are just really tied to soundscapes of this place and just kind of want to um, save that, you know, listen to it. Yeah. You sort of uh, answered another question that I had on my mind, which was, you know, how noticeable um, climate cha change is in your particular region. Um, but I'm wondering, does, does climate change affect the way you compose or? Yeah. I'll, I'll... yeah well, you know, it's interesting you should say that because I am I also organize a contemporary music series up here and um Actually, they, of course, have been canceled. <laughs> so we were going to do one in the fall on Birdsong, which has been rescheduled for April, but I, I'm not super hopeful that that's even going to happen. Um, and then I have one in January that we're doing on Denali National Park, actually with Stephen Lias, who you've, you've talked to. Um, but in the fall, I'm doing one um, called Fire and Ice, Composers Respond to Climate Change. Um, and I'm bringing in Judith Shayton, who's a really wonderful composer in Virginia, um, and we're doing a number of pieces that are um, composers that are responding to climate change. And I'm actually writing a, um, a string quartet for that, um, that I'm calling Fire and Ice, um, based on the Frost poem. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because of the fires that were, in, that were happening in Australia at the time. And, you know, so we've got these, this change of, um, like climate change is kind of going in two directions. And I'm not a scientist by any stretch of the imagination. So, but you know, I can watch the news and I can see that things are burning that didn't used to burn and things are melting <laughs> that, that shouldn't have, shouldn't be melting. And um, so I think it's those, I just thought, so it has, it's on my mind a lot, you know, because the Northern climates tend to, to be experiencing this much worse. Um, like the fires even in Alaska and, and that sort of thing. Um, and so it, it does tend to figure into my work. The, um, a lot of the Wendell Berry poems that I, I've set had some kind of um, element of a reaction to climate change. So, so yes, it is on my mind quite a bit, along with COVID-19 and the election. And <laughs> certainly no shortage of, uh, of things, things to, to worry about to preoccupy the mind. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, even if it's not necessarily your um, desire for for music, but I'm wondering if you think music can be a vehicle for for activism, at least in you know not just for cr climate change, but for 
potentially other um, areas of, of civil change. Absolutely. And, and I think with um, everything that's going on um, with the Black Lives Matter movement, I, I think that there's been some really powerful pieces of music um, that have come out of that. Um, Seven Last Words of an Unarmed Man, I think, was, was just done last year. Um, and th so that especially, I think there's been just some amazing music that's come out of that. Um, I, I think it is a, a really powerful tool, actually. It's something that people understand and can respond to. And, and, you know, I think music's power, if anything, is emotion. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's what it, it does. And I think sometimes maybe what we can't express in words, you know, we can express through music. To sort of paraphrase Aldous Huxley. Um, but um, so, yeah, I mean, the short answer is yes, of course. Um, it's not my music tends to be a little more subtle. You know, I, it's not, I, I like music that expresses that. Um, I'm not necessarily as, I'm not in a place where I feel like that's, that's what I want to do. Um, obviously I want my music to say something, but I do think it, it's definitely um, can be a voice for that for sure. I've, 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 you know, I've, I realized in the process of doing, you know, the research and the, and, and some of these interviews, I have this strong desire to, to reach out and talk to people and realize that there are, there comes a point where, you know, as, as you said, the, you know, the, the words can only take us so far and yeah. the music is so subjective, not only for the composers that write it, let alone those of us that, that listen to it sometimes does not make it conducive for a uh, a fresh air style interview. <laughs> um, is there anything, I guess, that you would like to add to any of these different um, oh, talking gosh. points that haven't been addressed yeah. yet? Um, wow, now you stumped me. I, you know, I, I, I do think that idea of um, music is, is the more I teach it and the more I write it, it's really hard to talk about, you know, and um, it, and it was it was funny when I was doing my dissertation a million years ago, I, I wrote it on Joan Tower and who I love. I love her music. And um, I did an analysis of Petrushka, which is just a wonderful piece. And my advisor at the time read my dissertation and he sat down and he said, you have made me realize how hard music is to talk about. And he said, because I realized I would, I would read something you would write and I would think, oh, that's kind of an awkward sentence and then try to rewrite it and realize I couldn't. <laughs> and so um, it is kind of like, a, I mean, and that's the beauty of it too. You know, it, it does express what we can't express, you know, like, and I think we're hardwired for it. You know, I think it's something that, um, all cultures have some kind of music, you know, they have some kind of dance, they have some kind of art. So, um, so maybe, maybe it's an extension of our language. <laughs> Best way to put it, I guess. Do you find, you, you had mentioned actually before how there's all these, um, there's this large sort of, uh, Swedish population and mm -hmm. Native American Finnish. culture, or excuse yeah. me, Finnish. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, they will correct you. <laughs> yeah. Rightfully so. Um, do, 
does do any of those things ever tend to leak into your music or influence you inspire you in any in any way you know i would say not so much the culture the language uh, i mean you hear a lot of sibelius around here you know <laughs> like he's their guy um I guess it's the people like the, there's a there's definitely I, I hate to use the word expression youper because that's sort of this when they talk about people in the UP that's sort of the and some people get really offended by that but there's a local there's definitely a, a local culture of people that sort of were born and raised here and were um, of Finnish immigrants and they, their parents worked in the mine and there's a really strong um, accent that you hear it's it's actually really charming I, I love I love how they speak and you can hear it like, and I can even hear like different dialects in different areas. So that's fascinating to me, just like the way people talk and, and the way vowels are pronounced and that sort of thing. Um, and I love their stories. And actually one of the pieces that I just had recorded this spring was uh, from an oral history. Um, he's actually not Finnish, he was actually Italian, but um, his name was Giovanni Baptista Perona, who was a, an Italian, um, from Italian immigrants. And I think his parents came here to work in the mines, but he did an oral history. So one of the, the, the historical park did some oral histories with people. And so I took his oral history and I set it to music. So I just took sentences out of the music and I cut them up and I created this um, choral piece out of it. And it was, it was kind of fun because I knew Johnny, he was a Bones and Spoons player. So I played with him um, quite a bit right before he died. And so that that part of the culture is pretty interesting to me. Not necessarily Finnish music but I guess Finnish people are really interesting they're they're definitely a hearty lot <laughs> the description of of where you live in Michigan sounds very idyllic um, <laughs> I'm wondering if you know pandemic aside is there is there like a retreat that you tend to go to for for composing or just or not even composing getting away from life or are you you're there <laughs> i am so i'm going to say two things about that this is a lovely place for some people <laughs> yes because we do literally get like 300 inches of snow in the winter and so uh, in fact as my husband was stacking wood the other day he's like why do we live here and then once winter's over we get black flies and so there's like one month that's really nice so but but i love it so i i love all of it we snowshoe to our car in the winter but i have a, um out the window that way i actually have a writing cabin that we built a couple of years ago so um out on the back 40. <laughs> I have a little 16 by 12 studio. And that's that's my retreat. That's my heaven. We put that up, I don't know, like six or seven years ago. And so um, in the winter, I can go out there and, and you know, light the wood stove and um, do yoga and, you know, write music. And so that's kind of my writing space. Um, but as far as like getting out of town, it's kind of funny because when I leave here, it's usually to go to a city. <laughs> so um, I, I go down to Chicago once in a while. I like that. So um, and I am fond of like, we ski quite a bit. So I'm a cross country skier. So there's lots of places to cross country ski. They're close by. Um, and as I said before, I'm really fond of, of the Apostle Islands National Lakeshore, which is about three and a half hours from here. So that's, it's kind of a kayaker's heaven. Um, and, and we kayak quite a bit just on the lake, on the lake here. But I have my own little retreat space, just sort of out about a hundred yards that way. <laughs> Is there electricity out there or do you, do you tend there to compose is. by hand? Um, there is electricity. I do. I use Sibelius. 
<laughs> that which is funny that's my my notation software um and in fact unfortunately we just put wi-fi out there i i had resisted putting wi-fi out there because i just did not want to do that but our house is like 800 square feet it's real tiny and my husband is also working from home and i thought i need i need to be able to do some work out there <laughs> so um but there is electricity no nice. plumbing but electricity <laughs> It's right past the chicken coop, if you really want a picture of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Libby, that's about all the, the sort of questions that I had um, for now. Hey. I'm sure, knowing me, a dozen more will, will pop up uh, after we sign off. Um, but I really well, want to... around. <laughs> well, th <laughs> thank you. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time. Sorry for the, the confusion earlier. Uh, oh, that was my fault. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, uh, I'll be in touch. I'll let you know, I guess, when these uh, episodes sort of come out. Um, Great.